It's all true. Let's pray together. If you're there at home, take a moment. Let's speak to Jesus because he's alive. We're not praying to a concept. We're not hoping in an idea. Jesus is not an abstraction. He's a person who was prophesied, who did exactly as he promised. So let's talk to him in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we can sing to you and recognize your goodness, your glory in all kinds of ways, including music. Thank you that it's all true. It seems too good to be true. It is too good to be true, but it is. And I'm grateful. And help me now speak well of you because you deserve it. Help people who are hopeless find hope that only you can give them. I'm just the messenger. But I pray that you would persuade them, that you would love them, that you would comfort them, and that you would cause them to trust you. In your own name I pray, the name of the risen Lord, my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're just joining us, my name is Bruce Garner. I'm the senior pastor here at Cross Point, and like every pastor in the world, really, we're all struggling to cope to a new reality. Normally, this building would be absolutely full, and full several times, and filled with the smiling, singing faces of people I know and love. Crosspoint family, wherever you are, thank you for joining us. We're not here to celebrate ourselves. We're not here to bring attention to ourselves. We're here to tell the greatest story again, to hear the greatest news that has ever been given. That's one of the things that has made these days so very difficult. We're all hungry for good news. Some people, and I, I, if this is you, I, I hope you'll stop. Some people are driving themselves absolutely crazy by monitoring social media, watching the news all day, every day. And the reason we do that, and I've caught myself doing it as well, is we're all hoping to hear good news. And it's good news that I've come to tell you. And this is perhaps the greatest misunderstanding regarding Jesus. You see, Jesus came not to give good advice, but to announce good news. This is one of the misunderstandings. Religion, self-help, self-talk, every other spiritual and religious effort at best can give you good advice. And Jesus didn't come to give good advice. He does have good advice. He is wise beyond description. He has the wisdom of God himself because that's who he is. But he didn't come merely to give good advice. He came to announce good news. And there is a vast difference. And you can think of it this way. Given the choice, if you could only choose one of two things, would you rather I give you good advice or good news? Think about it for just a second. If you're watching someone else, talk for just a second. Would you rather have from me or from anyone good advice or good news? Maybe if you're not capturing the difference, maybe an example will help. Suppose that somehow the banks have given you a lot of credit and you've sunk yourself into $5 million worth of personal debt. Your credit cards are maxed out. You have every credit card that exists. It's the platinum, plutonium, diamond-encrusted card. You've maxed them all out. You're $5 million down. That's your personal debt. 
you can't even keep up with the interest month by month. In that imaginary and horrible situation, would you rather I come to you and give you good advice of how to repay the debt or give you the good news that a wealthy benefactor loves you and without you even knowing it has already paid the debt for you? What's your choice now? Would you rather have good advice or good news? Every single one of us, I think, would like to have good news, and that's actually what we're announcing. If you have your Bible on the screen, we'll show you Scripture from time to time, but if you have your Bible, you can open it with me in the, gospel, in the book, rather, of Romans, and I'm going to, as quickly and as clearly as I can, announce to you good news. And if you're tuning in for the first time, it's I've been on the other side of the pulpit as well. I understand one of the questions that people have when they come to church is, how long is this going to last and what does this guy want? The answer is, not long. Only as long as it personally takes me to give you the best news that's ever been announced to anyone. And I'll tell you, all cards on the table, exactly what I want. What I want is for you to believe the good news and apply it to your own life. Specifically, I want you to trust Jesus who not only gives good news, but actually is good news. And I'm going to invite you to do that at the end of the service, the same way I invited you to text in your welcome, to text a number with his name, the name Jesus, to a text, to a cell phone number, and that will let us know that you have put your personal faith in Jesus. We're going to pray for you. If you need it, we're going to send you a Bible. We'll do all that we can to help you take your first steps in what actually is not a religion, but a personal relationship with the Jesus who loves you and with the Jesus who announces good news. One of the key phrases of the last several years has been fake news. You see, for good news to be actually good, it has to be true. If it's only hopeful, if it's only make-believe, it's not good news at all. It's just fantasy. As this crisis has unfolded, we've all heard all kinds of fake news. I heard that it was over. I heard that we had it contained. I heard that a cure had been found. I heard that we would be out of our houses by now. I heard all kinds of hopeful things. As it turns out, they weren't true. So it can't be good news. The other things that makes good news good is good news is always given in the face of something that could be bad. When I was growing up, and still sometimes today, my parents are out of the country, but when we each know that we're, the other is traveling, especially if it's a long journey, we'll say something like, give me a call or send me a message when you get there safely. Give me some good news at the end of the journey. Why do we do that? Because the underlying threat, we both know, we don't expect it, but we both know sometimes people don't make it safely home. And Jesus gives good news that is absolutely factual. It is historical. It's controversial, but it's real. And he gives evidence for himself in this book, the most well-attested document in the ancient world, written by the eyewitnesses of people, the eyewitnesses of Jesus who watched him die and encountered him again from the grave, all of them who were willing to die rather than say that it wasn't true. And today we're hearing from just such a skeptic. The book I'm reading, you, I'm reading to you from in the book of Romans was written some 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. It was written by a former skeptic. 
It was written by the famous Apostle Paul. Apostle means someone who's sent out. And of all the people who could be been, ever been sent out to talk about Jesus, Paul is the most unlikely. Because Paul thought it was all a hoax. Maybe for whatever reason you've come to believe that what we're celebrating this morning and what I'm talking to you about is at best a hopeful wish or at worst a hoax foisted upon gullible people. If that's the way you feel, you're in good company. Paul once believed that. But to his great surprise, he encountered Jesus back from the dead. And a man who was well-regarded and prestigious and wealthy had everything his world could offer him Counted it all garbage, he said somewhere else. He turned his back on every comfort because he knew that if Jesus was back from the dead, it changed everything, and it was the best news that anybody could ever tell anybody else. So he spent his life announcing this simple idea. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's way of explaining the good news, that there is no condemnation there is no judgment, no retribution, no condemnation will come to those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, those who have trusted Jesus. But why the word condemnation? See, this is understandably where many churches and people like me, pastors, get a bad rap. We come across, and sometimes we are, judgmental hypocritical, imposing on others standards that we ourselves do not follow. I'm going to speak to you now about God, not about myself, because actually I'm in the same boat you're in. There is a God in heaven who made all of creation and its beauty and its design and its intricacy that all sustains life, and beautifully so. All of it points back to a good, intelligent, just, and holy God who put, actually, the sense of justice that you were born with deep inside your heart. You call, we call it conscience. And all your life, for as long as you can remember, you've had your conscience telling you that some things are wrong and some things are right. And Paul addresses that painful human experience, and he says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Why condemnation? Because God is holy and God has a standard. See if I can explain this simply before we look at a single verse that announces the good news. By our standard, every single one of us can feel pretty good about ourselves most of the time. Those of you who are raising children know that human beings are born with an amazing capacity to justify their ways and justify their choices. Even if we're wrong, we had our reasons. By my standard, most of us find a way somehow to feel pretty good about ourselves most of the time, but by God's standard, every single human being ever born, beginning with the man who's speaking to you, by God's standard, we're all guilty. Let me show you two scriptures that speak of God's character, and I want you to do something really simple and really practical. I want you to hear about God's character and compare it with your own. Don't think about your spouse. Don't think about your child. Don't think about your neighbor. Don't think about the guy who cheated you. God will deal with them in time. Just think about yourself. 
by these two simple standards, by these two measuring sticks. Speaking of God's character, Psalm 71 verse 19 says this, your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Your righteousness reaches the high heavens. Can I invite you into a silly little experiment? Can you say that about yourself? My righteousness reaches the high heavens. When it comes down to choosing between right and wrong, my own personal daily righteousness is as high as the heavens. In other words, I'm perfect. Try that on yourself. Did it feel right? Did it sound true? If you're watching this with somebody else, probably watching it with family because we're all locked in, we're all sequestered, turn to your spouse, turn to your child, turn to your parent, Turn to your friend and say, I'd like you to know something about me. My righteousness reaches the high heavens. Did they laugh at you? If you actually followed through on that silly experiment, of, of course they did. No one can say that about themselves. This is characteristic of God alone. Here's another example. Psalm 36. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Now, this is poetic language, obviously, but God is speaking of his own character and two things that are incredibly important to us. He speaks of his love and his faithfulness. He says they're maxed out. They go beyond what a human eye can see. They extend to the heavens. They extend to the clouds. With the people you've been given to love through this crisis, would you say that your love for them has been perfect? Would you say that you've been faithful in everything that's ever been assigned to you? You've always kept your word. You've never told a lie. If you're following along with me and you're doing this thoughtfully and you're taking this Scripture seriously, you're starting to think correctly, this is getting a little absurd. Of course, nobody is like this. That standard is too high. How did we ever get so accustomed to living the way that we do. Well, we make a fatal mistake spiritually. We justify ourselves with our reasons, and what's much more common, we compare ourselves with one another. You let me choose the point of comparison. You let me choose my level of competition. I can always feel pretty great about myself. Please remember, the God who made you and loves you is not comparing you with anybody else. As the judge of all he made, of every person he created, he's only evaluating you by his standard. And by his standard, we're all in deep trouble. Here's how Paul said it in the book of Romans. He said, we, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's an obvious fact. Every human being in the world accounts for the fact that other people are sinners. What I'm trying to bring to you first is the painful reality that you're a sinner. I'll gladly tell you, not happily, but 
humbly, honestly, quickly admit to you that I sin. God gave 10 commandments. I've broken every single one of them. If my faithfulness, if my love, if my righteousness is measured not in comparison to another human being, but in comparison to God, I am in deep trouble. I find myself guilty, but Jesus came to give me not good advice, but good news that he paid that debt for me, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's the verse before I'm done that explains the gospel in three simple phrases. It's Romans 8.34, and this is where we're going to stay for just a few more minutes before we're done. And remember, my heartfelt plea, what I've been praying about for weeks, long before I could even imagine that this world was possible, And that I would be announcing the good news to a camera, not to a big room full of people. My prayer for you is that you will measure yourself by God's standard and run to Jesus and turn yourself into him and ask him to make true for you the good news he announced. Here's this single verse, the good news in three phrases. Romans 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Let me read it to you again. The announcement is that there is no condemnation for those who find themselves in Christ. For people who have been placed, who have put their faith in Jesus, there is no condemnation. Now, Paul, later in the same chapter, explains why. There is no condemnation, he says in verse 34, because there's no one left to condemn. Read it again. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Here's the good news. Christ Jesus is the one who died. That's, what the whole, that's why the whole world paused on Friday to remember a death. It was barbaric. It was cruel. And it was unjust. But it was Jesus who died, and he died for all of my lack of faithfulness and righteousness and love. He died for my lies, for my immorality, for my selfishness. And we all feel our guilt, our condemnation in different ways, but the thing that makes you feel the most guilt and ashamed of the many things that you've done wrong, if you're painfully honest with yourself, the thing that most quickly comes to your mind that makes you feel defeated and ashamed, the one thing you would never want anyone else to know about you, you need to know Jesus is the one who died for that. Jesus is the one who died for you. Here's another one of those eyewitnesses explaining the death of Jesus. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Christ suffered one time because one time was enough. He suffered for sins for all the sins, for all the unrighteousness, for all the unfaithfulness, for all the cruelty, for all the lack of love, for everything that any human being could possibly do wrong, he made a substitution. Look at that phrase, the righteous for the unrighteous. We live in an age of of activism. And people 
through social media, through protests, through gathering signatures, on social media, through hashtags. People routinely see injustice and protest against it. You know what very seldom happens? Very seldom does an innocent person step forward, witness the cruelty to another. For instance, a man is being unjustly imprisoned. People will start advocating. They might start a GoFundMe. They might try to hire more or better lawyers. They might start to make all kinds of campaigning efforts to set the person they believe is innocent free. You know what never happens? No one ever says, take me instead. Let his guilt, if he owes that money, if he owes that debt, I'll pay it. It happens rarely in the human world. It happened once, Peter says. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And here's the point, that he might bring us to God. Jesus bridged the gap. His cross, his death on the cross, unjust, was unjust because he had done nothing wrong. It was loving because he was taking our condemnation. But Peter says that's not the end of the story. Romans 8, 34, the second phrase, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one that, who died, more than that, who was raised. Jesus was also raised from the dead. He not only died, he, as promised, as written down in this book, up to a thousand years before his birth, Jesus took his life back from the grave because had he only died, all of this would be meaningless. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, this is the most pathetic exercise in human history. The Bible itself says that. Paul says if we only have hope in Christ for this life, we're the most pitiful people on earth because you're trusting someone who died and stayed dead, someone who can't listen to you, someone who can do nothing for you. But Jesus was raised from the dead. Paul explains elsewhere in the book of 1 Corinthians that he was seen by 500 witnesses at once. They weren't expecting it, but more than 500 people saw Jesus at one time he gave personal, visible proof of his resurrection for over a month. And the people who saw him and heard him and even enjoyed meals with him after his resurrection welcomed death, usually cruel, painful death, rather than take the story back. Why? Because the good news is not only that Jesus died for us, but that he was raised from the dead to give us the eternal life he is and the eternal life he has. Take it from Jesus himself in the Gospel of John, John 14, verse 19. Jesus said, before long, he said to his disciples, those who would witness his death, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Can I just invite your attention to that last sentence? Because I live, you also will live. Are you getting the idea of the announcement of good news? It's not good advice to try harder. There are millions of people around the world today 
who will look to all kinds of sources, including some will look to churches of various kinds and various names, and all they will hear is good advice. And many of them will take it to heart and they will say, I believe that. I'm going to go out and try harder. I'm going to do better. And it'll all be in vain. That's why if you ever meet a deeply religious person, you almost always meet a person who feels one of two ways. They're either driven by guilt and feel like they can never do enough, or they're puffed up with pride because they mistakenly believe that they can. This isn't good advice. This is good news. Jesus died for sins, for my sins and for yours, and he was raised from the dead to make you this promise. Because I live, you also will live. It's a complete exchange. In the West, probably the biggest mistake that people make regarding the claims of Christ is they come to Jesus thinking that all they can do and all they will do is adopt a new set of values. It's not a new set of values, however good those values are. It's an exchange of life. It's the righteous for the unrighteous. It's those who deserve death for the one who didn't deserve death, who died instead to give eternal life. And the last phrase in Romans 8.34, I'll read you the whole verse again because this is the announcement in full in a single verse of the good news. Who is to condemn? In other words, for those who put their faith in Christ, who is left to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised. And here's something maybe you haven't heard on Easter. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The final announcement, and to me in these strange, fearsome days that have put pressure on my life, my family, this congregation, so many people I care about, the announcement of the good news is not only did Jesus die, not only was Jesus raised from the dead, but thirdly, Jesus is interceding. If you look very carefully, Paul changes his verb tense. He says Jesus is the one who died in the past in history. He is also the one who was raised. That's in the past. That's history. Paul is going to go on in just not too many years after writing the book of Romans, go on to suffer a brutal death at the hands of the Roman Empire rather than say that he made it all up. He's willingly going to die. He is going to go repeatedly into beatings and prison and ultimately death to keep announcing this good news. Here's his comfort. In history, Jesus died for sinners. In history, Jesus rose from the dead to give those sinners eternal life. And now, in the present, at this moment, Jesus is at the right hand of God who indeed, check the verb, is interceding for us. What is Jesus doing for me who come by his grace to trust him? What is Jesus doing right now? He is seated at the right hand of God because his work is done, but even now he speaks for me. He's my advocate. He's my assurance. And dear Christian, if as I have, you have ever wondered and feared that maybe you truly are not saved, look at the finished 
work of Christ and look at what he is still doing. He is at the right hand of God interceding for us. His life, our own. Look at this beautiful phrase, and I'm done, from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews has that strange name because it was written to Jewish Christians in the first century who were under extraordinary social and religious pressure to not accept that Jesus was the Messiah they had been promised in their scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. Hebrews 7.25 tells them what Jesus is do, was doing for them then and what Jesus is doing for us now. Look at this. Rejoice in this, Christian. Take hope in this if you want to put your faith in Christ this morning. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. How saved, how free, how forgiven to the uttermost. Who will he do that for? Everyone who draws near to God through him because, look, he always lives. Jesus is alive right now. Why is he alive? What is he doing? He is making intercession for those who draw near to God through him. No wonder Paul said, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's why Paul said in Romans 8, 1, here's the announcement, not of advice, but of news, of good news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the good news. That all your condemnation, all your fears, all your guilt, all your shame, it can all be put on Christ. That's what he was purchasing. That's why he took his righteousness, his love, his faithfulness. He took that to the cross and traded it for everything that was wrong and fallen and darkened and guilty in you and in me. And then he took his life back to prove that it was all true, just as he personally promised before dying on the cross. And even now, he is alive to make intercession, to be the advocate for all those who put their trust in him. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is good news. So I've come to the end, but I have a question. This is Christ. Do you know him? I'm not asking you if you are historically aware of the figure of Jesus. I'm asking, do you know him in a personal sense, in a way that would cause you to say that you are in Christ? In other words, if I haven't been clear to this point, I'll make one more attempt. I'm not talking to you about religion. I'm talking to you about a relationship where you come to God the judge the one who put his righteous standards in your heart, who gave you a conscience that sometimes tells you you've done the right thing and other times accuses you that you're wrong, all of that is pointing you back up to God. That same God who loves you gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to bring you to God, to rise from the dead, to give you new life, and even now, that same Savior 
will intercede for you and be your advocate until you're safely home, if only you will trust him. So my question is, do you? Or will you? Will you trust Jesus to save you? Listen, I, I didn't create this story. This slice of history, this supernatural history of God acting in human affairs. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the person who has told you the good news again. That's the other amazing thing about good news. Many times, and this is one of those times, for good news to be good for you, you have to believe it. You have to trust it. You have to trust him. So I'd like to pray with you. Wherever you're watching, laptop, TV, mobile phone, however you've connected, however you're watching this, wherever you are, whenever this reaches you. I've told you the truth. I've given you the good news that Jesus died for sinners like me and you. That he rose from the grave so that instead of guilt and condemnation and shame, guilt in ourselves and condemnation from a righteous God, we could have eternal life instead. And then, amazingly, beautifully, surprisingly, Jesus lives even now to make intercession for sinners, to utterly save, to completely save everyone who draws near to God through him. My personal invitation to you, friend, family, loved one, stranger, is to put your trust in Jesus. How do you do that? Well, you, you speak to him. You speak to him in repentance and you say, Jesus, you're right, I'm wrong. I've broken God's law. I've been unrighteous. I've been unloving. I've been unfaithful. I'm turning myself in. I'm guilty. Please forgive me. Give me your righteousness. Give me your eternal life instead. And he'll forgive you. He'll save you. He'll give you new life because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're ready, I'd like you to pray with me right now, just wherever you are. Take a moment to yourself and in your own words, turn yourself in to God. Admit your guilt, confess your guilt, and say that instead of your guilt and his condemnation, you want righteousness and eternal life instead. Will you do that? Let's pray. Father, wherever people hear this good news presented from your word, I pray that right now, anyone in need who hears this will turn to you and say, God, you have spoken the truth. You're right. I'm wrong. I've sinned. My righteousness, my love, my faithfulness, it's broken. It's incomplete. I'm so often wrong, and you are always right. I've sinned. Please forgive me. I'm turning away from that life and my guilt to ask for eternal life instead. Please save me, Jesus, and do what you promised and give me eternal life. Become my advocate that I may follow you and walk with you and serve you from this day forward. If you've done that, 
If you put your personal trust in Jesus this morning, will you do one more thing before we sing a final song of celebration? This can be your song of celebration. This can express your faith of a new name in God's family. If you want to do that, if you have done that, do this simple thing. Go to 714-868-7258 and text his name, Jesus, to that number. 714-868-7258. Take your phone, put in that number, and text his name, Jesus. It's a simple way of letting us know that you've put your faith in Christ, that you have put your name, you've written your name down in glory. We're gonna pray for you. We're gonna celebrate with you. We'll serve you as best we can. Text Jesus to 714-868-7258. And right now, we're gonna sing to Jesus. God bless you.
because the I am tells me who yes I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am I am who I am because the Jesus is 